So you've been part of a conversation uh-huh. and have listened to the other conversations. Yeah. So yeah, they're fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. So this is the fourth and this is, we're kind of like, uh, I don't know, not cleanup crew. Like <laughs> what, what would you call it? The, the wrap up a little or the oh. not wrap up. Cause it's not, I it's think not we stopping. just get the joy of actually like sitting down and processing what we've heard together. Like yeah. hundreds of others who in our church have watched those videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just get the delight of doing it together. So hopefully this will be a conversation that is modeled across our church as well of yeah. taking the things that you've now watched and ingested mm-hmm. and uh, process. Yeah. 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 I was having a conversation with Kelsey, one of our assault staff staffers yesterday, and we were talking about movies and she was saying how she hates going, she hates going to movies alone hmm. because she likes to be able to talk about it afterwards with someone. Well, if you go alone, you, there's no conversation partner, you know? So it's a little bit like that yeah. where, and I think part of it too. So instead of a movie, what we have right now laying out before us are a lot of events, a mm-hmm. lot. I mean, we're on social media, we read and watch the news. Like there's a lot of things happening that we're kind of watching maybe from a distance, maybe up close, Mm. depending on who you are, but to be able to have conversation partners where there's a lot, a lot of grace. And we've Mm. said this kind of along the way where it's like, you need, you need those friends with different experiences from different backgrounds that you can ask stupid questions to, you know? And so I think, I think one of the big takeaways for me in that, like in this whole ongoing process has been, uh, it's been really interesting to me, the distinction between uh, how when I sit down across the table from people, the conversation is very reasonable yep. or cordial. Like yep. even if we don't agree, it's very, uh, yeah, reasonable is probably the best word. Whereas uh, you go on social media and the news and all that stuff, it seems very unreasonable. That I did not expect that distinction. Maybe I'm just naive. I yep. didn't expect it to be that wide where yeah. you turn your phone off, that's unreasonable. You sit across a table from someone and now you're talking to a human and not just a screen. Well, I, each of the conversations were profound in different ways, but I, on conversation three loved, I think, uh, Scott was the one who quoted Dr. Brian Lawrence, who mm-hmm. said, uh, proximity builds empathy. Yeah. And I think that's the missing component within social media or even just media in general like when you turn on the news it seems like it's so one-sided you're constantly yelling past each other or there's you're attacking a straw man that's like that and and when you're the one that's getting attacked like that that isn't what i believe that's how i don't i don't affirm that i I wouldn't i wouldn't say that Mm -hmm. and there's something about the conversation that humanizes it a bit of of even if i walked into the conversation knowing that we flat out disagree there's just this human desire to want to though, like throw arms around each other. I mean, isn't, isn't there, it seemed yeah. to be. And so mm-hmm. proximity, because conversations happen and create some level of closeness, it, mm. it, it builds that empathy. And, uh, and I think that we're just missing that as a culture. Well, and maybe that's a product of, of COVID as well. You know, isolation, yeah. like, yep. All this, I don't think it helps for sure. And mm-hmm. so, man, I've been so grateful for the discipline of like slow down, mm. 
create space. I think conversations are a discipline. But yeah. You have to sometimes force yourself in the heat of the moment to slow down and ask some questions and talk. Yeah. So, well, that's funny yeah. you brought up the the COVID thing because it is mm-hmm. amazing to me how how these two things correlate. Where if if proximity breeds empathy, which I really think it does. Mm-hmm. I think that was such a great thing that that Scott brought up. Uh, you go proximity breeds empathy and we have been social distancing Mm -hmm. for months now uh now luckily we can sit across the table but i mean there's times there where it's like good luck finding a context even have people at your dinner table Mm -hmm. you know and so the the proximity in these last several months has continued to get further and further apart, and it seems as though the the empathy or the lack of empathy has just kind of followed yeah, and, suit. And now empathize with me, a guy who loves physical touch. Right. I can't <laughs> hug somebody. It's like I think the world needs a few more hugs right now, and I, that's like all I want to do. Dude, you're the free hug guy. I know. You can I, do that. I yeah. You and Lance you can, DeWine. Yeah. Can get send out me there the and, shirt, man. I'll, I'll wear it. <laughs> you know something else that's been uh, interesting, and it it didn't necessarily play out in the conversations, mm. but. Um, even just watching social media and and the news, reading the news, it it seems as though there's been an emergence, uh, and it's been there for a while, I think, but it's just been accentuated by this time of a kind of uh, almost what you call like a red evangelicalism mm-hmm. and a blue evangelicalism, where it's like uh, as Christians, yeah. what we have is we have like a profound commitment to racial justice and so honoring the image of God in every person recognizing that they bear the image of God and are inherently valuable and worthy of respect and dignity and honor Mm -hmm. and to be treated fairly and justly because they're created by God himself and bear his image Um, like we believe that as believers we have a concern for the poor and the marginalized that's Mm -hmm. what we see in scripture we also see in scripture that Christians uh, are Mm pro-life that we care for the lives of the unborn and we see in scripture that that uh, human sexuality is to be uh, shown and played out in the context of a man and a woman Mm -hmm. in the context of marriage for life so if those are the four kind of categories it seems as though people tend to emphasize only two of them Mm -hmm. and minimize two of them Mm -hmm. and what can kind of happen is the the um the pro-life and uh, and hetero- heterosexuality, you could say, mm-hmm. is automatically a Republican issue, and the pro-justice, pro-poor and marginalized is automatically a Democrat issue, and it's almost as though right. these two can't go together. So if you start yeah. to talk about one, yeah. uh, you you get labeled and put in a camp, you right. know? and that to me, I go, it seems like Christianity it. And not just seems like it is a fact that Christianity cares about all of these things. And so if we are more defined by red or blue, that's a problem. Mm. And we actually should be this kind of conglomeration of purple, probably, if we're living out a Christian biblical ethic and worldview. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so it's been amazing to see that that those polar ends, which existed before this time, but it's just... It seems to be accentuated, right? Well, and that, that polarization of society... I mean, Satan loves to, to divide. Mm. He, he loves to bring disunity. And it's one level to bring disunity within the church. Then it'd be another thing to bring disunity between the church and even the world that we're called to love and to pursue with the gospel. Mm. And so, yeah, there's going to be differences. But 
but not like a like a us versus them mentality that can get created. And right now, society is in love with the us versus them narrative. They they we're trying to find groupings, uh, and I think it really all gets back to like we were talking about this the other day, like identity. Like, mm. what is going to be our identity? And for Christians, our identity has to be in Christ. I mean, it has to be in Christ, and anything else that may be a a part of our life, if that thing starts to supersede mm. our identity in Christ, and, and I want us to like just pause for a moment, like because these other things can be good things, uh, can be helpful things, um, especially as we talk about a church that values diversity. Um, the fact that a person is white or black or has a political affiliation or whatever, like let's think. It's part of who that person is, but mm. that identity can't supersede who they are in Christ mm-hmm. because it is the blood of Christ that bonds us together and breaks down all of those barriers by which we can then engage the world. And I think I think one of the things I'm, I'm most nervous of in my own heart and mind and I'm most nervous for within our own church is that if we begin to walk down an us versus them road, not only will we maybe withdraw from the world around us that needs Jesus so bad, but we actually might make enemies mm. out of people that need Christ. Because there really are, there's two groupings of people in the world. There are those who are in Christ and those who need Christ. Mm. And those who are in Christ are called to go to those who need Christ. And so... And love and prefer. I, and, yeah. yeah. And so mm. it doesn't shock me when the world around me doesn't affirm my worldview. Mm. Christianity was never meant to be mainstream. <laughs> It's, it, it's just, I don't see that in scriptures. And so when people come up to me that are shocked that they were talking to a neighbor, it's like, man, they don't even believe this. It's like, really? <laughs> we're the weird ones, man. Yeah. And so don't put me in a box. I'm going to, I'm going to be in the, the team Jesus box mm. and let that define everything else. And I, I think if there's one major prayer request that I have, like for our church, I just want to continue to pray this over our church is that it would be Jesus that would define us as we engage these issues mm. and that we wouldn't come at it as purely, well, I'm black and a Christian or I'm white and a Christian or I'm a Republican pro-life Christian or whatever mm-hmm. defining things. But the identity in Christ has to supersede. I mean, what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, it, it really speaks to to the multiplicity of ways then that preferences mm-hmm. and personal beliefs stuff like that like plays into like now because my primary identity is in christ Mm -hmm. that means that i can lay aside uh every preference that i would have so Mm -hmm. so this this isn't as much a racial thing but it it has been amazing how even like wearing masks has become politicized and it's and i even even as we decided to go to a an 8 a.m like mass required service it's something that people can assume a political agenda into when it's like Really? You you (laughs) think we literally all we're trying to Uh, do is set aside our preferences for the sake of loving others? Yeah. That means I got to wear a mask to do that? Awesome. Right. Doesn't it follow Paul's logic? Yes. I've become all things to all people that I might possibly win some. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to remove things that would be barriers to helping the gospel get to somebody. And so we need to, I think, continue to figure out what hills we're willing to as a church, like, hey, we need to stand firm on those grounds and not give up any ground mm-hmm. 
but also at the same time continue to, to think hard about how to engage our world around us um, in ways that are very intentional with mm. the, the gospel. And I think COVID has given us opportunities for that. I think the, the conversation surrounding the death of George Floyd and race and justice gives us opportunities for that um, because it, it begins to engage uh, what people really value. And I think it begins to engage people that are hurting. Mm. And again, proximity builds empathy. And so to get close to people, uh, throw arms around them, begin to walk with them, not making it a political thing, but making it about the gospel and helping that person walk with Jesus and then, you know, engaging mm-hmm. others with that. Mm-hmm. That's what the church is supposed to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's that identity that shapes everything else. Yeah. I think another thing that, that I've noticed, um, is it seems, and this is my own perception, obviously, it seems as though generalizations is the prevailing argument of the day. Yeah, where, what do you mean by that? Where where statements are made, where um, and, and things are spoken about in fairly general terms. Mm. All police officers are like this. All mm. of this group are like this. All of this group are like yeah. this. And, and it's interesting because, I mean, you think of even in a, in a marriage relationship, we, I, we parent our kids mm. this way uh, to really avoid using the words always and never. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what in that, though, like as I, as I parent my kids and even as I – uh, try to communicate. Um, usually what's happening though, when, when my child is saying, well, you always do this though. They're using a generalization that may not be fair. What's informing that is usually specific events. Mm -hmm. And so while I don't, while I want to like parent them out of using the generalizations, I don't want to at the same time sweep under the rug, the specific things that that have actually hurt them yeah. are informing what's happening, you know? Yeah. And so really drawing out uh, from my kids, like what specifically happened? Help me understand yeah. this, you know, yeah. and, and not just go because I disagree with the generalization that I thro- throw, throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. as it were, you know, and I can see that tendency in me yeah. to go, well, because I don't agree with your just like massive statement that's reductionistic and I don't think is true then, well, everything you say isn't worth listening to. It's like, no, it's probably been informed, though, by specific instances that are really important to talk about, you know. Well, and, and one one bit of advice I've, I've kind of gone back to over and over again over the past few months for a number of different reasons and, and contexts, but this is a bit of advice that has saved me from myself in <laughs> uh, my marriage. <laughs> uh but it was, it was Matt Chandler, I think it's within Mingling of Souls, that he talks about the importance of, uh, in marriage, matching feelings with feelings, facts mm. with facts. And I think so often a mistake takes place relationally when somebody expresses their feelings. And we know that feelings aren't always true. Just as because somebody experienced something doesn't mean that that is true. Mm-hmm. Okay, you experience that. Does that mean that that's true of everybody? That's true of everybody in that situation, whatever. Mm. So experiences don't mean truth and, and feelings aren't always truth. But when somebody is expressing their feelings to be Im- immediately met with facts is the worst way that we can respond to somebody else. Mm. And if, if we could pause and actually instead of, you know, that person expresses feelings. I'm going to, I'm going to respond with facts, uh, 
to, to pause a bit and to draw that out and to then match it also with our own feelings. Okay, you felt that. This is what I'm, I'm feeling. Then it gives you some legs to stand on, mm. like a foundation then to, to engage in the facts. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's just a massive uh, mistake I see played out constantly on different platforms in the world around us right now. That's like, man, it, one, we're not being very empathetic with each other. And two, it, we're being very mean. Mm. And, and relationally, uh, we're missing the mark over mm. and over again and yeah. just loving the people around us. And so, I mean, one of the yeah. things, what, one thing I think worth highlighting in what you just said was what you didn't say is that facts don't matter, mm. but the order matters yeah. a lot oh, yeah. as, as we engage with people at a feelings level. I, I remember mm. that that was one of the critiques of, uh, JD Greer's, um, JD Greer talking about black lives matter mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, uh, and one of the, th- if you just read the comment threads, which I don't know why I ever do that. Cause mm. it's like, uh, it's like going to the dump, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. we just look at all this garbage. Yeah. It never makes you feel better. Right. <laughs> like you're just like, Oh man, things are broken. But, <laughs> but it was like, people were just railing on him because, yeah. because it was like, well, have you read this statistic and all this stuff? And like, 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 what are you saying? Facts don't matter. And it's like, no, he's not saying facts don't matter. It's not as though facts don't matter. Facts matter a lot. Right. But it's the way in which you engage with someone mm-hmm. that that can really determine whether those facts will have any bearing in the conversation. If, if I just try to engage you as a scientist, which I'm not a scientist, but as though I were one, as a keyboard warrior mm-hmm. who happened to read three articles and I'm an expert on something, which mm-hmm. also never happens, you know, like <laughs> I, I'm not going to be able to, to even have any ground to stand on, you yeah. know? So I, I think the order you put that in was, yeah. was really good. Well, and, and you've heard me say these things repeatedly to our staff team in a variety of contexts. And I'm actually going to remind our staff team of these phrases, these kind of one-liners here in just a few weeks, because I think we're headed into a very interesting fall. Mm. But I think as, as, as the church, we, we could model this well, but if we could just assume the best, mm. like even knowing JD, JD's a fantastic pastor and a great godly man, and we're all going to make mistakes. I'm not even saying what he did there was made a mistake. Even if he did, I would go, okay, assume the best, mm. lean toward trust, and go and have direct conversations as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. If we could just as a society get really good at those three things, like just assume the best, lean toward trust, and then go have direct conversations instead of the opposite is always we assume the worst. I mean, we mm. just assume the absolute, oh, their motives. They got, and we think we got it all figured out. So then we go tell everybody around us like, oh, this is what's going on. And, and it's suspicion. There's, there's conspiracy. This is where this go- they're going down a slippery slope for sure. You start here. They're going to be there a year from now. You mm. start spreading poison all over the place. And then the worst part, the thing that I hate the most, and I, I talked about this a few months ago when we were talking about James and the importance of watching our words. Yeah is then if we even eventually have that conversation, we go and have that direct conversation and it gets cleared up. Or JD releases a second video where he clarifies what he says and the heart behind it. And you go, mm. oh, oh, okay, I get it now. Well, are you gonna go back and like clean up the mess? Are you gonna mm. go talk to the 20 people that you poison their mind? And we don't, but that lingers out there. Yeah. And that continues to infect the world around us. And then we get surprised when all of a sudden 
that bites us someday. And, and so I think those three things could, could make a huge difference oh, man, for us. Huge. I mean, it, and, and not, not just because we're leaders in the church and it's like, can you just kind of be nicer? Like, that's not the point. The point is like, love bears all things, hopes all things believes all things like yeah. like love does assume the best we yeah. see that in scripture and so a culture of suspicion mm. and assuming motives like is the opposite yeah. heart posture yeah. of what is to define christians yeah. with each other and with absolutely the world at large I, I one of my takeaways from these conversations is a reminder that unity has to be fought for. Mm. It's not something that just happens like naturally, that like you, you gravitate toward unity. Like, no, you are always drifting away from it and you have to fight for mm. it. It's Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I mean, so it requires effort to fight for unity. And as a church, it's a worthwhile thing to, to fight for unity of the body, I think reminding ourselves of our primary identity that, that supersedes everything, our identity in Christ, and then to go out as a united front to engage mm. the world, that they can see in us the gospel on display. They can see us proclaiming it with one voice, and now it's actually having dramatic impact. And so I think right now, as much as there's things in this world that can be discouraging, I don't know if there's ever been a better time to be a Christian mm. or to be in the church than now because if we can be the church now I don't know of any other time in my lifetime now I'm not super old uh, but in, in our lifetime where the ability to be the church will set you apart ever even more oh, than, yeah. than now yeah. uh, a bright light in a, in a dark world and so that's that's exciting yeah that's really exciting yeah that's the it really is an opportunity though the the tendency could be to fear mm -hmm. the opposition we may be walking into we are walking into mm -hmm. it we we see that in scripture we shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition and persecution yeah. but this is an opportunity to be set apart as a distinctive community that yeah. embraces love with one another yeah so can i ask you a question yeah you've been a part of all of these mm -hmm. conversations sitting at this table what for you is kind of your big takeaway mm. or even an observation or, or something from that, those conversations? Yeah, probably one of the more helpful as even as I think through how I live and leading my family mm. was uh, talking to Josh and Andrea and even hearing what they had to say, even about real little simple practical things like even being aware. So my daughter's seven. She plays with dolls. How how much racial representation is there even in her toys? Right. You know, like which seems like a very small thing, but it oh. it's it, it's little things that help shape a worldview and yeah. an appreciation of cultures. You know, mm. and so even for for my wife and I was like, oh man, that's really really good. You know, so even for us as a family trying to think through. How do we continue to help broaden our children's and our own worldview, yeah. our our interaction and awareness? Again, proximity breeds empathy. How how can I get more proximity to other nations, other mm. people groups, other other colors, other cultures? Like how can how can we bring that into our home in a way that really highlights the beauty of that? You know, so real simple things like um, 
like every night, and, and we'll talk about this in a couple Sundays. I don't know if this will be out before then, but uh, every night we read the Bible together, we sing, and we pray, of course. And uh, <laughs> sorry. And, and so what we do in our prayer time now is not only will we kind of go around the room like, Naomi, how can I pray for you? Judah, how can I pray for you? We've got a globe and a map like mm-hmm. on our wall. And we'll have the kids just go and point to a country. Mm-hmm. And we'll look that country up and a few little things about it and kind of talk about it. It takes like three minutes because of Google, you know. And we'll pray for that country yeah. and for that culture and what's happening in that country. Just real little things. And we'll look at yeah. pictures with the kids and, and they can see the different ways that people dress, yeah. the different foods that they eat, the different things that are happening in that part of the world. Like yeah. that's been a thing. Uh, like I said, being aware of the, of, of the cultures and the races that are represented in our kids' books, mm-hmm. in their toys, in their TV shows. You know, so even last, uh, last Friday night, Friday night's our family movie night. And so mm-hmm. we watched Remember the Titans with nice. the kids. And, and it, was a, it was an amazing opportunity mm-hmm. to pause all throughout the movie mm-hmm. and explain to them what, what was going on. Yep. What, the, what was the basis of these racial tensions? Why do these right. groups not like each other? And why, is, why are they being treated this way? And what, mm-hmm. you know, it was so beautiful. And to even then put them to bed that night, and particularly Naomi, because she's older, you know, Judah loves, you know, is yeah. more into the football thing, but still mm-hmm. uh, for, her to, for her to be wrestling with the, the racial tension that she just saw portrayed in yeah. this movie and was how, a really beautiful thing. How old is Naomi? She's seven. Yeah. I, yeah. That was one of my takeaways, you know, with Josh and Andrea and then Josh and Yachty. I mean, they're having these conversations with their kids at a young age. Yeah. And I, I think as you know, it could be that there's parents out there that are going, well, I'm, I'm just waiting for my, my kid to be a bit more mature and mm. to be ready to handle this. And, I, I think I think what I took away from those conversations was just being intentional from the earliest of ages uh, in age appropriate ways, but to, to yeah. have this conversation and to invite it into your your living room. And so, yeah, for Naomi at age seven, for you to be processing that with her and mm-hmm. praying with her and, and, and that because. Our, our kids are very perceptive. They know what's going on in the world. There's conversations happening around them. They're catching bits and pieces. They're seeing certain things, mm-hmm. and it's helping them process that all and then to engage it with a gospel lens. And if we're not as parents, you know, there's a pun intended here as you pause the movie, if you remember the Titans, <laughs> if we don't pause life and have a conversation mm-hmm. now, shame on us. Yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. And that's good. What about you? I mean, as, as you've watched, listened, things you've done in your family, like... Yeah, I, I first want to say this. I love our church and I love our people. Mm, yeah. I just, you know, hearing aspects of Josh and Andrea's story, I didn't, I didn't know. Um, Josh and Yachty, I mean, they, they were in our first connection group when we moved to town here a handful of years ago. We've been friends with them as long as we've been friends with anybody in the Cedar Valley. And even I didn't know the different nuances of hmm. Yachty's story. So I'm listening to it, both feeling ashamed as a friend, but also at the same time <laughs> loving it because mm. I, I, I love um, the, the rich mosaic, you know, of God's work and who he's brought into Candale Church that, that makes us a, a beautiful place, you know? And so I, I really delight in that. Mm. And uh, I would say trying to take this back to the home level has been 
the biggest takeaway for us, like how to have this conversation as a family, even kind of a bold move, you know, but, um, you know, my, my boys, they've, they've got a neighbor friend that will spend quite a bit of time at our house and I'm going to start charging him pretty soon for all the food that he eats at our dinner table. <laughs> um, but what I, but I, what I love is, you know, one of the challenges I threw out to our, our people in the midst of this is like, do you ever have people of different skin colors sitting at your dinner table and eating food? Well, this, this kid would be one of those mm. for us. And, um, I'm teaching my boys to both like not see color, might get a big deal, but at the same time also like celebrate diversity. I mean, those, those yeah, two things at the it. same time. Yep. And so in the midst of all of this, I, he's sitting at our dinner table, he's eating my food. So I figured I could ask him a question that kind of put him on the spot. <laughs> Is that how that works? Uh, no, no. I, I love this kid. I, I hope that he listens to it. His parents listen to it. So I get a laugh out of this. But, but I just, I just decided to, to ask him like, Hey, you know, can, can I ask you a question that may be a bit too personal? I mean, if it is, just ignore it. We'll move on. Totally fine. And he's a very open kid. He's a very talkative kid, mm-hmm. very outgoing kid. And so I felt pretty safe. And he's, he's junior high age, you know, so he's, uh, he's not too young. But um, just ask him, I said, have you felt like anybody has ever treated you differently because of the color of your skin? Now, this is at my dinner table where I've got a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 3-year-old. Mm. And I just wanted them to, to know, like, this is how we have these conversations. This is how you have conversations with your, your friends. And so I've got, a, I've got a 12-year-old here that I just I want to talk. I, mm. I want to be able to engage on, on things like this, especially in this moment. Um, and... Uh, classic form of a junior hire. His response was uh, not totally what I expected, but he just go no, and that was it. Just a quick response. I'm like, mm. okay. Uh, and so I'm trying to think through, like, even how to how to like wrap that up, you know, because it was so quick and over. Uh, <laughs> not the but, heart level, yeah, conversation yeah, you were which, expecting. Which again, sure. I'm like, I'm like, I praise God for that. Like, I'm I'm glad that 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 that's your experience, and and mm. so just to then communicate to him, like. Well, Eli, just, just know, like, our family loves you. Mm. And if, if there's ever a situation where that is the case, just know that we've got your back. Mm. I mean, just trying to throw arms around people to our right and left and just care for them. And so uh, I, don't, I think recognizing that, that our kids are, are going to model our behavior. And it's a really important thing that we raise the next generation in a way um, that they can engage these conversations well. Mm. And uh, so that's probably a big takeaway. Yeah. I mean, even as you talk, I think I I felt that challenge in in the same way for for some of my African-American friends, like even calling them up or getting lunch, whatever. And honestly, just going, hey we've known each other for a while and I've never asked you what your experience has been as a black man in the mm-hmm. Cedar Valley. Like one to, to like apologize for that. Cause honestly for me, it was like, I felt like I wasn't being a good friend, you know? And I think part of it was cause I didn't want to make it weird or I didn't, I don't know. It felt like an awkward question to ask yeah. or whatever, but, but that was more my own pride. I don't know what it was, you know, that prevented me from doing that sooner, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was a really great opportunity to, to like own that as a friend, be like, I I feel like I haven't been a good friend to you in this way. Mm -hmm. You know, not that I failed you categorically, but like, 
this is something that we haven't talked about. And I, I just love to hear your experience, you know? Yeah. So even as you like talk about that, it's like, that's not a weird, in every conversation, I'm mm-hmm. like, I think I felt like it was weird and, and, and I've just been affirmed over and over. It's like, that's not a weird thing to ask. You know, yeah. I was the one who made it awkward in my own heart right. and kept from, from honestly loving them. Right. Uh, in a way that I think was holistic. Right. Every know? human being, though, they wants to be known, mm-hmm. uh, wants to be cared for, and the only time that I think we can even have platforms to speak into people's lives, you know, and, and to bring truth is is mm-hmm. when they know that we genuinely care about them, and so that's just what friends do. And I think yeah. if you want to have gospel impact wherever you are, that's the investment, and it has to be sincere. But that's the investment you mm-hmm. have to make in the lives of people around you. And it, it's why I, I want to continue to press myself to have a diverse grouping of friends, people within our church, outside the walls of our church, uh, people that, that are Christ followers, people that aren't yet Christ followers, all of those things, because uh, I think it continues to give me avenues to, to, be, to grow as a person, to mm. love people well, and then to be very intentional with the gospel. Uh, for the purposes of the name of Jesus becoming more famous. Mm. And that's what I want to give my life to. It's what we give our lives to as a church. And so uh, we have to think creatively and purposely about that. And we have to be motivated by the genuine love of Christ that's been poured out on us. Man, if God, who we were enemies of his... Could not be more different. Couldn't be more different. And and, in hostility toward God. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like we were neutral. In hostility toward God would come all the way over to redeem us doing all the hard work himself. I mean, we offer Mm. nothing to reconcile us to himself. Then yes, if that gospel is where I stake my hope and that has been what transforms and changes my life. And that that's this, the beauty, the the glorious truth on which I now stand. How could I not? Mm extend myself over to a neighbor, to another resident of the Cedar Valley, uh, motivated by that. Yeah. Man, I mean, if, if not, then there's gotta be some serious questions about whether I've actually ever experienced that grace and understood the divide between God and myself. Mm-hmm. That's the miracle, that that could be reconciled. Bringing black people and white people together, Republicans and Democrats, that that's, easy compared mm. to what God has already accomplished for us in Christ. And so let's let the gospel mm. do its work and, and be restorative to oh, our people. Man. That's yeah. huge. I mean, if, if we could grasp the truth that the way that I think about and interact with someone who's different than me, racially, culturally, politically, mm-hmm. politically, with cal capital letters, yeah. right? Like if I don't said that twice, yeah, I hear yeah. That. <laughs> if I don't understand that the way that I think about and interact with people different than me, uh, that's a direct reflection of how I understand the gospel, mm. because of what you just said. Mm. Me and God could not have been more different. He's God. Mm-hmm. I'm not. It's not just like two people. This is like God and me perfect and sinful, like alive and dead, like in every way, God and I are different. And yet this was the action that God in his, in his, we could call it a privileged status, uh, how he acted toward me. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't inform the way that, that I interact with other people, regardless of who they are, I, 
I don't understand the gospel. Yeah. I just don't. It's yeah. clear and simple like that, you yeah. know. And so in the, the way that I use social media, the way that I talk about people around my dinner table, the way yeah. that I parent my kids, it's like it must be informed by the gospel. Yeah, and God forbid, and I need to repent of this, if, if like the primary thing that occupies the words that come out of our mouths is annoyance with uh, how COVID is changing the world around us or affecting mm. the openness of stores that I want to go to. You know, if that <laughs> becomes my primary conversation with neighbors or God forbid I get focused on certain aspects of what's happening around me because of the, the race and justice conversation that needs to happen, mm. but the parts of it that I go, oh, I take issue with, whatever, God forbid that that becomes the focal point of all of our conversations and all our interactions with those around us. And we look back on this time when the message of Jesus was needed so badly and go, man, you know what? One thing I didn't talk about was the hope of Jesus in mm. this. And sadly, one of the things I didn't model very well was the joy that I found in Jesus. In fact, I walked around kind of kicking the dirt too a little bit as kind of a grumbler in this time. Man, God forbid if that's true. And, and sadly, that is true more of mm. me in days in the days that I would like to admit. Oh, man. So you're you're not alone us. in that. So yeah. both of us here got to repent of that, mm. man. Well, this, it, at the expense of wrapping up a conversation here, uh, somehow reflecting uh, an ending of conversations ongoing, like, like that's not the, that hasn't been the point of these mm. all along. Um, but thanks so much for jumping in to yeah. this conversation, the other ones that oh, we've had. Man. And, and I know that our desire for our church would be that, uh, be that these would be ongoing, mm -hmm. that this would become a rhythm and a lifestyle yeah. of us as a people at Candeo. Yeah, that absolutely. we'd sit across the table from people different than us with different experiences um, and even different beliefs and yeah. come into that situation asking questions, mm -hmm. looking to empathize and understand mm -hmm. uh, and, and love people as those who are made in the image of God. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks for Jake initiating these conversations, making them happen, bringing them to life in this environment, and uh, just for your friendship. And mm -hmm. you're one of the people I can go to to have these conversations. And I hope that, that, that people across our church can continue to build on friendships like yeah. this to have these conversations and to be changed by them. Conversations that can sometimes be used as like a a detour from action, but mm -hmm. but good conversations like held in the right way with, with humble hearts at the table mm. do change us. Absolutely. And I want us to grow as a church and be changed in that.